Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Are you missing any years in your national insurance record? Well, if you don't know the answer to that question, and even if you're not entirely sure what national insurance actually is, don't panic. Over the next 20 minutes or so, I'll fill you in on all the details. And you might thank me for this by the time you retire, as it could boost your pension by many thousands of pounds. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast about personal finance and investing from the Financial Times. I'm Claire Barrett, FT's Consumer Editor. This week, we're talking about voluntary national insurance contributions, or to be specific, class three contributions. Yes, you heard that right. Can it ever make financial sense to effectively pay some extra tax? Well, in certain cases, it could. Thanks to a public information campaign by the money-saving expert Martin Lewis, huge numbers of people have been paying to fill the gaps in their national insurance records dating back to 2006. The reason? You need 35 years' worth of national insurance contributions to get the full amount of the state pension when you retire. And as Martin has pointed out, paying to fill the gaps now could be a savvy financial move. For example, a man who reaches age 66 would typically live 19 more years. If that were to happen, each £800 you paid would be £5,300 extra on your state pension. A woman who lives to age 66 would typically live 21 more years. So each £800 paid would then be £5,800 extra on your state pension. Sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? Well, like most good things, there is a time limit to top up your record and pay to fill any missing years. Originally, the deadline to do so was April of this year. But the demand was so huge, the government extended the deadline to July. Now, they've been forced to extend it again, this time by a full two years until April 2025. But who could benefit from this? What are the pros and cons, and could it make financial sense for you? 
Well, joining me now in the FT studio is someone who I'm prepared to bet knows even more about national insurance than Martin. It is, of course, Sir Steve Webb, the former pensions minister, now partner at Lane, Clark and Peacock. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Claire. Pleasure to be with you. Oh, it's great to have you in the studio. And understanding that link between national insurance contributions that you make during your working life, see going out on your payslip every month, and the amount of state pension that you might get when you retire, marrying those two up is quite a difficult concept for many people to grasp. It is. National insurance is, in one sense, a tax like any other. It goes in a big pot and gets spent on pensions and a bit on health service and on benefits and so on. But for the individual, the amount of state pension you get when you reach state pension age and when you put in a claim depends on your national insurance record. And not everybody gets the full pension. And what we're talking about today is ways that if you're not otherwise going to get a full pension, you can put a bit extra in and build up towards that full amount. Now, today's episode is especially relevant to listeners who are aged 45 and over, and also to women who are much more likely than men to have gaps in their national insurance records. So keep listening to hear Sir Steve explain why. Now, after the recent announcement that the deadline to top up was being extended again, I asked my followers on Twitter and Instagram to send in their questions. And and Steve, you've kindly agreed to answer these on this episode. Very happy to do that. And often the answers will depend on people's individual circumstances. So we can explain the general principles, but also talk about some individual cases as well. Absolutely. And as ever, the podcast disclaimer, we're not giving people financial advice on the podcast, but we hope that the information that follows will help you weigh up your options and make a better informed decision about topping up or not when the time comes. Okay, let's kick off with our first question. Hi Claire, my name is Aditya. Uh, about the state pension, I read that if you do voluntary contribution of 800 now, you'll get 6,000 in a few years. Uh, I was wondering if you could give some more information about that, please. Thank you. Well, Steve, certainly as Martin Lewis explains it, it's a very grabby way of getting people interested in quite a complex and often dry subject. But how does that financial equation work? So there are two things going on here. First of all, you are paying in extra national insurance and then you're getting extra state pension out at the other end. So the amount you pay in for one year as a voluntary contribution can be around £800. It can sometimes be less, for example, if we're talking about a year where you paid a bit but not enough for a full year, you're topping up. But let's take 800 as a typical sort of figure. So you hand over that lump sum. When they work out your pension, if you've paid that extra year and you weren't going to get a full pension, so you're short, they will give you one thirty-fifth extra. You mentioned this idea of 35 years for a full pension. So one extra year generally gets you one thirty-fifth of a pension. The pension's just over 200 quid a week. So one thirty-fifth of that for 52 weeks would get you about £300 on your pension. But that's £300 every year you live post-retirement. So if on average you live, to make the maths easy, 20 years, 20 lots of 300 is 6,000. So you remember we said you pay £800 once, you get back £6,000 over 20 years of retirement. Now that's taxable, so you might knock something off for tax, but you can see it's incredibly attractive. And I should say subsidised by the government. So the government knows they're not charging you the full price for what you're getting back. So that's why as an investment, potentially, it's very attractive. And of course, if you think about the link to inflation that a state pension has actually, you could be getting back more 
than the £6,000. That's right. We may be underselling this in many ways because although I've said you get £300 extra on your pension, that's the year that you retire. The year after you'll get 300 plus inflation or some bigger increase. The year after that, you get another batch of inflation on that. So in fact, you could be talking 7,000 or even more once you've taken account of the growth of the pension in retirement. So that makes it an even better deal. Brilliant. Great explanation. We're going to get on to the practicalities now. We've had a great question that's come in from Money Clinic podcast listener, Gareth. How straightforward is it to make voluntary top-ups? I'm not sure where to start. Okay, so for the benefit of somebody who is new to this, what do they need to do? So it's a two-stage process. Before you hand over any money to anybody, you should speak to the Department for Work and Pensions, something called the Future Pension Centre. So that's who you ring if you are a future pensioner, so you haven't retired yet. If you're already over pension age, you ring the pension service. Now, you might think, why do I need to talk to these people? I can just go on the internet, I can look at my national insurance record, but it's complicated. There are some years you could top up and they might not boost your pension. There are others that would. There are some years that are cheaper than others. You have to talk to them. And indeed, if things go wrong for some reason, you know, you pay some money and then decide you want it back because it went wrong, they're quite stroppy. If you didn't talk to them before you paid it over, they're much more reluctant to give it you back if it goes wrong. So step one, phone the future pension centre at the Department for Work and Pensions. Now, you might do your own homework first. Go on the gov.uk website. There's a check state pension page, which will just tell you what you're going to get. And if you're going to get a full pension anyway, well, there's no point doing any of this stuff. But if you're short, ring the future pension centre and they'll talk you through your options. Second step is once you've decided, for example, I'm going to top up 2017, 18 or whatever, you phone HMRC for a code. Then you can pay. And the beauty of that is, all being well, the money actually goes to your national insurance account and to the specific year you want to top up. So two-stage process. Don't try and shortcut it. Ring the DWP. It may take a long time to get through, and that's partly why they've extended the deadline. Ring the DWP then ring HMRC, then pay. Well, very well explained there. And that check your state pension service online. There's a link in today's show notes where you can get to that and see if you do have any gaps. Now, Steve, you mentioned that there have been problems getting through to these helplines, and that's really the reason why the deadline has been extended now by two years. We heard from FT Money listener Sylvia, who had this to say. Hi, Claire. I'm calling you today because I am really frustrated as I can't seem to get through to the Future Pension Service. It's now been six weeks. I've been trying to get through all different times of the day and I've never, ever had so much difficulty trying to get through to a government department as I have with this. There is no functionality online. They insist that you phone their Future Pensions number and the phone system there just tells you that... We're currently experiencing high volumes of calls, so you may be disconnected before an agent becomes available. And then you get disconnected. So, Steve, I'm imagining that you hear similar stories to Sylvia's from lots of other people you meet. It's a constant refrain. People have seen the publicity, they want to do something about it, they phone up and they get cut off or they're left on hold and it's really very frustrating. And what's happened is DWP can't just, as it were, drag someone off the street to add to the number of people answering the calls. This is highly skilled work. They've had to train people up. So when they extended the deadline, they promised more capacity, but they couldn't just switch it on overnight. So people have been very frustrated. The good news is that now you can pay these contributions up till April 2025, there's no rush. So unless you're literally on the brink of retirement, you could literally just ease off, 
come back in the autumn, come back in a year. Because if you're well away from pension age, keep the money in your bank account, in your investment ticket, in your ISA, whatever you want to do, because you might as well get the interest on it, because you're not going to benefit from it till you start drawing your pension. So unless you have to hurry to do this before you retire, actually just delaying is probably good sense. Mm, I hadn't thought of that. Well, obviously, we put this question to the Department for Work and Pensions, and a government spokesperson said the voluntary contributions deadline has been extended to the 5th of April 2025, and both DWP and HMRC have extra staff answering phone calls and dealing with correspondence. DWP and HMRC are working together to improve the digital service, with the aim to allow most customers to complete this process online. Further announcements will be made in due course. Well, we'll be covering them on Money Clinic as soon as that day comes. Now we're going to move on to a different question. Is it worth it? We heard from listener Gabby. Hi, Claire. My question is whether I shall top up my missing years or wait as I don't know what age I will retire. I have one year when I did not contribute enough and I have so far 11 years of full contributions and I will be 41 this year. Thanks. Okay, so Gabby, she's obviously seen the awareness campaign. She wants to do something, but she's only 41. Is that too young to be thinking about all of this? She doesn't know when she wants to retire. And she doesn't know what a state pension age will be either. If she's 41 and her state pension age will be, let's say, 68, that gives her another 27 years. She said she has 11 already, so she'd need 24 of those 27 to make up to the full 35-year target, which would be pretty impressive for many people. But there's a few other things to throw into the mix. So one is, I don't know whether Gabby's part of a couple, but if she's single and will retire on a state pension and not a lot else, you're going to get pension credit of £200 a week anyway, a means-tested benefit. So topping up a lousy state pension through voluntary contributions, if you're going to end up on benefit in retirement, is a complete waste of money. Now, if she's in a good job with a good company pension, none of that applies. But you know, if you've got a low state pension and that's all you've got in retirement, you might be wasting your money. So just think about what retirement might look like and if the state pension's all you've got, wasting money topping it up when it's just going to reduce your benefit may not be a good call. So you need to weigh that one up. Mm. And I mean, the chances are, I mean, even if she were to take a career break or go and work abroad for a number of years, she's got a pretty good likelihood of hitting those 35 years and getting the maximum state pension anyway without topping up years. And I think for many young people, that's the part of the equation that they're not perhaps as aware of. I think that's right. I mean, the, the younger you are, the less you need to think about this. And frankly, the rules have probably changed several times between now and then anyway, to be honest. So a lot of people of that age, frankly, could do with £800 or multiples of £800 now. They could be, you know, moving out of rented accommodation in buying a home, which would be fantastic for your financial position in retirement. So you've got to weigh up what else you could do with the money as well. Mm, very interesting perspective there, Gabby. I hope that has been helpful for you. On to the next question. Now, several listeners shared a very valid concern for anyone considering making a voluntary top-up, which is this. Hi, Claire. My name is Abigail. I'm 45 and honestly wondering if I can rely on a state pension still existing by the time I'm of state retirement age. Should I be counting on it as part of my future planning? Well, I'm the same age as Abigail and I've already looked up my state pension age and it looks like we will both be working until we're 67, possibly 68 by the time state pension comes around. So what do you think to the answer to her question? 
Although people say, oh, I wonder if there will be a state pension when I retire, as an ex-politician, the idea of saying, you know, vote for me, I'm going to scrap the state pension seems pretty unlikely. Now, people could get elected and then just do it. But of course, all the people are far more likely to vote, they're far more engaged financially. So even if there was some plan to means test or phase out the state pension, it would have to be done over a very long period of time. There'd have to be transitional protection. So, for example, what you'd already paid in was honoured. I think just the, the politics of scrapping the pension or doing something fundamental just don't make any sense to me. So I think you can assume there will be a state pension. In my view, you might have to work a bit longer than you think. I think you'll be lucky to get away with 67, Claire. And maybe they'll make it less generous. But the basic principle of the state pension I can't see going. Okay. Now, sticking with our female listeners, I've got a question for you now, Steve, that I know will affect many women, many couples who are listening, concerning child benefit, as I know this is an issue that you have campaigned tirelessly about since leaving politics. Back in 2013, when child benefit effectively became means-tested, if one of the couple earned more than £50,000, their child benefit would be reduced or stopped altogether... Many families just opted out. They thought, we can't be bothered with this faff. But it meant that stay-at-home parents, typically women, missed out on the national insurance credits that they were entitled to had they opted into the benefit but just not received cash. Now, there's been some very good news on this recently, hasn't there? There has. So... The scenario since 2013 has been people who've started a family often since then, so they weren't already in the child benefit system, sat down, they realised one of the couple was, say, earning more than £60,000. And what that does is it doesn't actually stop the child benefit. What would literally happen is mother typically would get the full child benefit still. They don't touch the child benefit, but then the partner on 60000 a year gets a bill equal to the child benefit. So the child benefit carries on in full, but there's a tax bill. And couples are saying, well, what's the point of that? You know, why would I want to do that? So they responded by not applying at all. And what they were meant to do was come online, claim the benefit and tick this mysterious box, which says, give me the national insurance credits, but not the DOSH, Mm. Uh, which is bizarre, isn't it? Why would you claim a benefit and then say, I don't want the money? It's just ridiculous. So lots of families we know since 2013, every single year, the number of families on child benefit has fallen. You can see 2013 is the inflection point. Until that year, it was going up every year. Since 2013, it's gone down every year. So the worry was we were building up a new generation of mothers, typically, who would have all these gaps in the national insurance record. So the good news is the government's acknowledged this is a problem and said, OK, we're going to try and fix this now. So if you would have been able to claim child benefit, we'll find a way to paste back in those credits. They don't quite know how they're going to do it yet. I've suggested linking the credits to registering a birth. So you just decouple the whole thing from child benefit. But however they do it, they promise that they will try. Well, we contacted the very nice people in the HMRC press office for more information about this, and they stressed that the deadline has been extended until April 2025, so customers can wait until more information is available on the national insurance credits that will be available for eligible parents who didn't claim child benefit, and when they get that, they can decide whether to pay for voluntary contributions. They also say, this is interesting new information, Customers who have already paid to top up those gaps caused by an absence of child benefit, if that's the case and you've done that, you can get a credit for the same period and apply for a refund. Now, there's more information about that process on the gov.uk website and we've put a link in today's show notes. So, I mean, Steve, that's really great news. Lots of people would have topped up those years potentially in the past thinking that's the only way I can fill the gap. And when this eventually comes down the tracks, they'll be able to get that money back. 
it's definitely good news that we've got that commitment. So the scenario would be you started a family, you've not claimed a child benefit, you realise that there was a gap in your record, so you've written a cheque to cover the gap, and now what they're saying is they're going to give you credits for that year anyway, which means your £800 was wasted, so they're going to send that back to you. Now, a long way from knowing how that's going to work, but it is reassuring to people to know they will get that money back. Yeah, to know that intention is there. Well, thank you, HMRC. Sticking with tax, we're going to move on to the self-employed. Now, this question concerns different classes of national insurance contributions, and it comes from Money Clinic listener Dave. I'm 58, and I've been self-employed for most of my life. When I checked my state pension records online, I was shocked to find that I only had nine years' worth of contributions and 14 missing years that I could potentially pay to top up. I was quoted around £850 per year, but I'm confused because I've definitely paid national insurance for these years. A friend who says this could be done to the class of national insurance contribution I paid. Can you shed any light on this, please? Well, we have lots of self-employed and freelance listeners who I'm sure the answer to this will be of great interest. Sir Steve? Yes, so the story for the self-employed is slightly different. As your reader says, there's two classes of national insurance, class two and class four, paid by the self-employed. Class four is like corporation tax. It's a profits tax. It doesn't come into it. It doesn't matter. Irrelevant to your state pension. The only thing that matters is class two. Now, the good news for the self-employed is that class two is dirt cheap. So for your reader who has periods of self-employment in the past and wants to fill those years, they should be paying at the voluntary class two rate, which is a heck of a lot cheaper than the £800 a year. So first of all, that's worth exploring. But if I had a pound for everyone who said, oh, well, my accountant dealt with my national insurance, all the time I hear from people who just trusted the accountant, the accountant just didn't do it properly. Because if you were liable for class four, you were probably liable for class two as well. So it's a bit odd what's gone on in this individual case. But don't trust your accountant. Apologies to all the accountants out there, but just don't believe that your accountant has done it. It's your responsibility to pay it and you lose out if it isn't done. And going back 20 years and saying my accountant sent a check-in, HMRC is just going to laugh. So check for yourself. Check your national insurance record as soon as you can because if you want to put something right, it's an awful lot easier to do it while you've still got the paperwork, not try and fix it 20 years after the event. Right, OK. So well worth that person getting on to the Future Pension Centre. Now, we're going to go further afield for our final question on the podcast today, which comes from an international listener. They say, is it worth topping up your national insurance credits if you no longer live and work in the UK? I'm originally from Austria, but I have around 15 years worth of national insurance contributions from my time working in London, and I'm now considering whether I should pay to top this up. I currently work in Asia and I'm not currently intending to return to the UK when I retire. Well, thanks for emailing that one in. Steve, it's an interesting conundrum, but a few issues to to unpack here. Over to you. Sure. So the first thing is you can retire and draw your UK state pension anywhere in the world. So there's no residence requirement. The UK government pays state pensions across the globe. So it doesn't matter where you retire. The second thing is if you've paid national insurance in, then you are entitled to some amount of pension as long as you paid the minimum 10 years. So under 10 years, you get nothing. So the fact that you're never coming back, the fact that you haven't lived in the country for a long time doesn't matter. So you will get something. And then provided you are eligible to fill gaps, 
then in principle, it's as good value as it is for anybody else. So you do need to check because obviously there may be rules about whether, you know, if you'd left the country and you weren't a permanent resident and a taxpayer and all of that, they might say, well, hang on, what are you doing paying national insurance for those years? So you do have to check that. That's another bit of the system called the International Pension Centre uh-huh. of the DWP. And the reason to ring them is... This is really complicated stuff and the rules about things like contributions in one country affecting pension in another are just horrible and they're different for every country. So you really need to ring the specialists. Guess what? Their phone lines are jammed as well. But they do have a bit on the International Pension Centre website where you can send them an email or a message and eventually you'll get a response. But the basic principle is, yes, you can pay from outside the UK. Yes, you can fill gaps. The only slight difference about some countries where you might live is this issue of frozen pensions. So countries like Australia, New Zealand, South Africa and so on, you will still get a pension, but it won't go up in line with inflation. Other countries it would. But even so, it can still be good value to top up provided you're eligible. Well, brilliant explanation there. And we'll make sure that there's a link to the International Pension Centre in the show notes today. Well, Steve, thanks so much for coming on and answering all of these listener questions on the show today. Is there anything else that you want to add about national insurance, state pension in general? Well, I don't want to end on a down note, but I suppose whether you get your money back depends on how long you get your state pension for. So if you're in poor health and it doesn't look like you're going to be drawing your state pension for that many years, that might be one reason to think twice. So that's really the only caveat, you know, if you're in very, very poor health or if you're going to be on benefit in retirement. That aside, this is a fantastic way to use capital to boost your income in retirement. I can't think of anything else I could invest my money in that would get pretty much as good a return as this. So it's got to be worth investigating. And also for couples, you know, you might have one partner who's got a full pension, the spouse may be on reduced pension, well, it doesn't matter whose money it is, can come from a joint account or whatever. So even if your pension's full, you might have a partner who isn't, and you could get a better joint income in retirement through this route. Both very good points. And I think the main takeaway for me about all of this is that it's massively raised awareness of the state pension, how it works, but also how little money that really is. One of our guests last week, Sarah Pennells from Royal London, she did an experiment a few years ago to see if she could afford to live on the state pension for a week. And it was incredibly difficult. So yes, very important that we look at this crucial building block for our retirement, but very important that you keep listening to Money Clinic and think about other ways that you can make your money work for you through pensions and investing in the future. Well, that's it for Money Clinic this week. and We hope you like what you've heard. If you did, drop us a line or leave us a review. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Claire B. And Sir Steve, I believe that you are also on Twitter. How can people follow you? Yes, I'm at SteveWeb1. Um, I'm not sure who the original Steve Webb is, but uh, I'm at Steve Webb one Well, there's only one Steve Webb as far as we're concerned. Money Clinic podcast was produced in London by Lawrence Knight. Our editor is Manuela Saragosa. Our sound editor is Breen Turner. And you've heard music this week from Metaphor Music. And finally, I've said it once, but I'll say it again, our usual disclaimer. The Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's all the small print for now. See you back here next week. Goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.